1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 13a. So it's only the very first line of verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13a. And the theme, as we continue the series on the Holy Spirit, is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Doping in die geest. Baptism in the Spirit. Let us ask the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Father, as I read the Scriptures now, and as we hear the Word preached and explained, I pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit on the Word. I pray that You would accompany the Word. Spirit of the living God, would You draw the sword of the Spirit from its sheath? And would You do Your work in our hearts? Would You, would you wound and would You heal? I pray. That Jesus may be glorified in our hearts, in our lives, in our midst as a church, and in the church of Christ at large. Amen. So let me tell you how this doctrine, my, my own journey with this teaching of Scripture, baptism in the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, um, might have been 10 or more years ago, a man visited our church and he said to me he would like to make an appointment with me, which he did. He came to my house during the week and then he said to me, he spoke a number of things about baptism with the Holy Spirit and some other things. And so I listened to what he said and I thought, I need to get this down for myself. It was more than 10 years ago. I need to get this down, and so I did a bit of research, did some reading, and then I came to the conclusion that baptism with the Holy Spirit is just another word for being born again. It's just another word for the new birth. <coughs> so I wrote an article on it, and at that stage we didn't have uh, announcements on the screen. We had it all in a little bulletin, and so I wrote an article for the people in the church. And then the next thing happened, I, I'd read of, of Martin Lloyd-Jones' writings before and his sermons, and they really warmed my heart and moved me as I read about what he had to say when it comes to baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then I read Lloyd-Jones saying that baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that can happen again and again and again and again in, in, a, in an individual's life. In a believer's life. And that really, and then he supported it, he backed it up with scripture. And then he showed from history that that is the belief of many of the old Christians, old preachers in, in church history, and that is especially true of those who lived during times of revival. And so it warmed my heart, but there was something that bothered me when I read Lloyd Jones's teaching because he said that it's possible to be a Christian and not, not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That baptism in the Holy Spirit, maybe it happens when you convert it, but maybe it doesn't happen when you convert it. It might happen much later in your Christian life or not happen at all. And that bothered me, especially when I read a verse like this where Paul says, all believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So anyway, this was nagging at me. And, and then I read a book by Ian Murray, who's my favorite living author. I had read books by Ian Murray, but then I 
got a hold of this book called Pentecost Today. Pinkster Vandag. Pentecost Today. And as I read Ian Murray, I said, yes. And as I read more of the book, I said, amen. And I read more and I thought, yes, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. That's what's in my heart. I just didn't know how do I express it. And Ian Murray helped me and he said it better than I could ever say it. And not too long ago, and I'm talking about end of last year, someone had been listening to these sermons online, the, ser- the series on the Holy Spirit, said, well, you started the series. I don't know if you know this, but Paul Washer, who is a, some of you know Paul Washer, Paul Washer said that he's, he found this book, and this book that he read, he said, Amen, and yes, as he read the book, this is what I believe about the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Spirit. And the person said, maybe you want to get hold of this book. I see it's for sale, or they sell it at Augustine and Good Neighbors. And the book is called Pentecost Today by Ian Murray. (laughs) And I said, I've read that book four times because I discovered it in 2011 or perhaps it was 2012. And what a wonderful explanation of baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not the modern Reformed view. The modern, modern Reformed view would be men like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and Wayne Grudem, uh, people who I respect and whom I really like. But it's not that view. That's the view that I believed in the past. And it's not the Keswick view. The Keswick view, you would maybe know words like a second blessing, the Tweede Genadewe. I'll talk about that later on in the sermon. It's not that view. I believe this view that I'm going to present to you tonight, and you again, it's your obligation, you are obliged to do this, and you are commanded in the Bible to do this, to test what I say. And you test it against Scripture and see, is this biblical? I believe it's the most biblical of the views, and in the history of revivals, this is what you see. So let's read our our half a verse. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. <coughs> so first of all, we're going to look at initiation. We're going to look, just look at two words tonight. The first word I will call initiation, often Afrikaans, in labor. Now you, you Shaiki, you have got different body parts. You've got fingers, and you've got hands, and elbows, and shoulders, and knees, and feet, and I hope ten toes, <laughs> and a tongue, and eyes, and ears, and a nose, and inside, you can't see now, but lungs, and kidneys, and a heart. But how many bodies do you have? One. <clears throat> Jesus has got many body parts with different gifts. That's what the chapter is about. But how many bodies does Christ have? One. The church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. So he's given these gifts. And this is what you see in verse 11. We see that the Holy Spirit has given gifts individually to each one. But verse 12 says there's one body. And so it is with Christ. How do you become part of this body of Christ? Now the answer is not here. The answer is in your text in verse 13. (coughs) What did Jesus do? He baptized you in one spirit into one body. Now, if you have an Afrikaans translation, the Overtalen, 
or if you've got the 2020 translation or King James Version, I guess a new King James the same, a new American Standard or NIV, then your Bible's going to say you were baptized by one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit doing the baptizing, according to those translations. And then some people read that, and then they say, when, when Paul says here, you're baptized by the Spirit, that's not the same as Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but someone more powerful than I will come, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. So that's Jesus baptizing you with the Spirit. But this verse, in some translations, says, no, it's the Spirit who baptizes you into the body. He does the baptizing. And so what these people then will say is they will say, Every believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body, this verse. But not every believer is baptized into the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit by Jesus. So these people will say that it's possible to be a Christian and not be baptized in the Spirit. And so what's the proof that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You can speak in tongues. Or what's the proof in other circles you baptized with the Holy Spirit? You live the higher life. You live the victorious life. You can conquer sin. Sin has no longer got a hold on you. And so other believers, they're just ordinary believers, but you, you walking, you living the higher life. <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let me give you some Greek lessons. It's a very short one. The Greek word in verse 13 where it says you were baptized by one spirit is the word en, E-N in Greek. That means in the spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit doing the baptizing. It is Christ who baptizes you in the spirit into one body. And that is how it's translated in the ESV. For in one spirit we were all baptized. That is how it was translated by John Wycliffe. That is how William Tyndale translated it. He never vertaling. In Afrikaans, 83 translates it in the Spirit, not by the Spirit. And now, to take it further, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, all of them say you were baptized in pneumati, in the Spirit. Exact same Greek phrases here. So why do we say this is by the Spirit? It's the Spirit who baptizes. It's not the Spirit who baptizes you. It's Christ who baptizes you in the Spirit into the body of Christ. And that's important because of that reason where some think, oh, I haven't been baptized in the Spirit, though I'm a Christian because I can't speak in tongues yet. That is nonsense. I'll get to that later on and say more. So every single believer has been baptized into the Spirit. Look at verse 13. In one Spirit we were all baptized. Not some, all. Every Christian has been baptized. And if you, if you deny that, then you are now making division in churches. Then you are forming classes in churches. Those who can speak in tongues, and, and because we've been baptized in the Spirit, and you rest, you're not. You're just the ordinary Christians. Or in other circles, we are those Christians, the super holy ones. We live the higher life. We're not even aware of, sin that, uh, of any sin in our lives. But, and you are, maybe you're just the fleshly Christians, the carnal Christians. You know, you're not as holy yet. And so you, you, you cause division in the churches. And this is exactly what Paul says you shouldn't do. Because the verse says no classes. 
We were all baptized in the Spirit. Look at the verse. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All. All. Roman Catholics create classes. Bishops. I'm a Pope. I'm an Archbishop. I'm a priest. You're just a lay person, an ordinary person. Hindus, they've got classes. We do not have classes. There's no division. Paul says in the rest of the chapter, don't say the eye is better than the hand and the foot is better than the nose or whatever. We all one body, all the members are needed. Different members, one body. So all of us have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, verse 13, and all of us then have a spiritual gift. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He gives each Christian a gift. Not only some baptized with the Spirit and you've got the gifts. So it's Christ who baptizes us in the Spirit. I can, I can illustrate it like this. It's like taking a sponge, sports. And you push the sponge into the water. Now it's in the water. But is the water in the sponge also? Yes. So you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you. You are in the Holy Spirit. Your life is in Him and His life is in you. Galatians 5 verse 25. Paul says, if then you live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. So He's given you life and now you live in the Spirit. And that's what Paul says in verse 13. I didn't read the whole verse. In one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So you're in the spirit in the body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So now you're in the spirit and the spirit is in you. There's a unity and a union that he brings between us and Christ. Now when it says uh, you were baptized into the spirit, into one body, that has not got to do with water baptism. There's no water that's a spiritual baptism he's talking about. Except if the very day you were saved, you were baptized. Well, then that same day you received the Holy Spirit, right? And so we, that's why the book of Acts can say, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or for, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But, although I, I say this, that Verse 13 is not about water baptism, being baptized in the Spirit. It's not about water baptism. Although that's true, you mustn't dodge water baptism. So don't say, listen, this is about a spiritual baptism. It's not necessary to be baptized in water. No, because by being baptized in water, you confess publicly that I've been baptized in the Spirit. I'm part of the body of Christ. Um, Acts 2, verse 39 where Peter says to the, the Jews he's preaching to, he says to them, uh, the gift, in other words, the gift or the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children, for the, all who are far off, for all those whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So here's the gift of the Spirit, and then what do they do? Do they say, oh, this is a spiritual thing, nothing needs to happen, nothing more needs? No, verse 41, all those who received Peter's word were baptized. And added to the church that day about 3,000 3, souls. So that's how you profess it publicly, externally. Now, some of you sitting here, you might not, or those online, 
Maybe you have not been baptized with the Spirit or in the Spirit. So you have not yet received the Spirit. And how do I know that? Well, you need to test yourself. Is the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Good character, godly character. And the other question, is there power in your life? Power to live a holy life. Power to obey Christ. Not perfectly yet, but at least power to conquer sin and say no to sin and run to Christ and ask for grace and help. Well, if that's the case and you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, you shouldn't be baptized in water either. 1 Galatians 3.26, then Galatians 3.27. 1 Galatians 3.26, where all those who believe are the children of God. And then Galatians 3.27, where you've been baptized, you are baptized then into the Lord Jesus Christ, water baptism. It doesn't help. You've got external, you've got external baptism, water baptism, and you've got external membership. You stand in front of a church and you become member of a church and your name is on some membership role. That doesn't help if you haven't got the inward baptism, the spiritual baptism, the baptism in the spirit and membership spiritually. You've been baptized into one body, into the body of Christ. It means nothing. That, that, that outward that outward symbol, that outward confession, that outward expression of baptism or of church membership, being on a, a membership role, that means nothing if you do not have verse 13, an inward baptism and an inward membership, being, being part of the body of Christ truly and spiritually. So if it, I don't care if you've been baptized or your name is on, in the book and there's a little dot to say you're a member of the church or whatever church. You are outside the church of Christ if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit. Because it says you've been baptized into one body, in one spirit, into one body. Now that would also imply if you have been baptized in the Spirit. And if verse 13 is true of you, you're baptized into the body spiritually. Then you mustn't remain outside. Then you must be part of the church then you must be baptized in water. And you must say, I profess this publicly and I become a member of the church. So I want to invite you on the 29th of January to come after the morning service. If that's true of you, if, if verse 13 is true, make it public. And say, I want to tell everyone I've been baptized in the Spirit. I want to tell everyone I've been baptized into the body of Christ. And I want to show this by an external picture of water baptism and becoming a member of the church. Not just to fill a membership role. Not just to keep a seat warm. But to do verse 7. You've received a gift for the common good to serve. And verse 26. To, to, as it says. One member suffers. All suffer together. One is honored. All rejoice together. To say I'm part of this body to serve. I'm part of this body to care. Where people suffer or where people rejoice. I will, I'll, I'll, what, how does the words go? To, re, to sing with the happy or uh, rejoice with the happy and, and weep with those who mourn. Yeah, that's what we do as believers. You're part of this body. That's why you receive the Spirit. You receive the Spirit not to stay at home. You receive the Spirit not to just do church your own way. You've received the Spirit to be part of the body of Christ and to serve in the body of Christ. To do chapter 14, verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Serve. Serve. And don't say like some people, and I don't think this group says it, that's 
because you're here tonight. But some people have the idea, no, I'm not going to church, I get nothing from it. You've got a, you've got a wrong view of church. That's a wrong view, it's a selfish view, it's what can I get? Instead of Paul's command in this whole three chapters, 12, 13, 14, how can I serve? How can I look out for the needs of others, not just think of myself? Number two, second word then is power. So the first one was initiation, becoming part of the body. And second word is power that describes this baptism in the spirit. Many of you, and I'd probably say most of you, do serve in the church. You're faithful, you serve in the church, and I want to encourage you this evening to say that you've received a gift. Don't stop there. Seek more. Seek for more. Ask for more and say, Lord, give me a fresh baptism with your spirit that I can serve with greater effectiveness. For instance, me preaching here. I preach every Sunday, twice. Do I now stop and say, I've got a gift, I'm busy serving? I don't stop. I pray for fresh baptism of power. Lord, I want to preach with power and authority your word. Ask for more. Ask for more. Seek more. Now, when we speak of being initiated into the body of Christ, I enlaven. That doesn't happen again and again. In that sense, you're not baptized with the Spirit again and again and again. Because you're only initiated into the body once. The moment you are born again, Christ baptizes you with His Spirit and you are placed in the body of Christ. But, when we talk about spiritual power, when we talk about spiritual... Help me with tourists. When you're Equipment. When you are equipped spiritually for service, in that sense, you can be baptized with the Spirit again and again and again as a Christian. Let me give you some biblical examples. Acts 1 verse 5, Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What is that baptism with the Spirit or in the Spirit? Verse 8, and you will, be, you will, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That can happen again and again. We are empowered by the Spirit. Fresh power, fresh strength of the Spirit to continue this work. Then you see them being baptized in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And you remember that they speak in different languages. In Acts chapter 4, here you've got the same group of believers. It's now grown. But it says they prayed. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went out with boldness preaching the Word of God. The same group of people. Again, the Spirit comes upon them, a fresh baptism. You know, the old Christians, the old preachers like George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon, and the Puritans, many of the Puritans, they were not afraid to pray, Oh, give us a fresh baptism of Thy Holy Spirit. But now modern Reformed preachers, whom I like, men like Sproul and MacArthur, now modern Reformed preachers say, No, Baptism in the, with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit equals regeneration. I'm going to refute that view just now. I think it's rather like, you know, in the book of Judges where you've got Samson. And it says, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. And he was empowered by God and he killed a lion. And then later on again, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he broke these ropes like it was a piece of thread. So you see that again and again in the life of Samson, the Spirit rushing upon him, empowering him. That is the baptism in the Holy Spirit when we come to the New Testament. You are endowed with power, you're baptized with power to serve in the body of Christ.
That's the context of this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. So, so why is it called baptism? Because there's lots of water. <laughs> no, it's called baptism to show it's plentiful. It's, a, it's an abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the believer and upon a congregation to empower them to show Christ to the world. We are the body to be empowered to show the glory of the head. Verse 12, just as one body, uh, the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And then verse 13, you're baptized into the Spirit to empower you to show that Christ to the world. Now where and when Christ baptizes a believer in the spirit like that, or sometimes a whole church, or sometimes a whole group of churches. Where that happens, the next thing's going to happen. The end of verse 13. All were made to drink of one spirit. You are so refreshed like someone like when I was coughing. Mm. Thirsty. Oh, refresh. And you're so refreshed. When the Spirit comes upon you, you make you drink of one Spirit. It's like Jesus said that it'll become a fountain of life bubbling up within you. Or in John 7, come and drink from me, he says, and, and streams of living water will flow from your inside, will flow from the heart. And, and then the next verse says, John 7 verse 39 says, this he said of the Spirit, who was not yet given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. As soon as Jesus went up, he poured out the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. That's the idea. You get this in Isaiah 32, for instance. Uh, Isaiah 32, verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Water brings life. And so the Holy Spirit brings refreshment and energy and power. Invigoration, life. Isaiah 35, you read of the highway of holiness, but it says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice, the blossom like the, blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. That's when the Spirit comes. And then also in Isaiah 44, Verse 3 and 4. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. The spirit, when he comes, when the baptism of the spirit, when Christ pours out the spirit in multiple effusions, when Christ pours out the spirit abundantly, then barren churches like dry bones live. They were dead but now there's life. And you see churches who maybe for decades, they just went on in circles, doing their thing, making no impact upon society. And when they baptized afresh in the Holy Spirit, oh, by the hundreds they are converted, by the thousands and by the ten thousands under the ministry of George Whitfield, because the Spirit, a fresh baptism of the Spirit came upon England and upon the United States. So this is what happens then. And a whole society is transformed. The desert is transformed into a flowery paradise. Now we don't decide that. We don't get to pick and choose when that happens. Jesus Christ is sovereign. And He baptizes when, how, how many, and with what 
abundance. How much of the Spirit He pours out upon us, that He chooses, that He decides. So sometimes, sometimes Jesus sends the Holy Spirit like summer rain. Sometimes He sends it like a mighty flood. He's not it, Him. He sends the Spirit like a mighty flood that just washes away everything in its path. And so the Spirit comes and sweeps in a mighty revival, bringing in thousands into the kingdom at one sweep. Sometimes when Jesus pours out the Spirit afresh and anew, it's like you're in water ankle deep. And you can wade through the water. But sometimes it's so deep you can't stand, you have to swim. And that's Ezekiel's vision. And I know some people might say, is that literal or is it symbolic? Even if you say it's literal, there's still, still symbolic value and meaning to that literal picture. And so the Spirit comes like that. The Spirit comes as Jesus gives and as He decides. Now Jesus has the Spirit without measure. We read that, in, and I'm talking about Jesus in His human nature. As God, obviously, there's always a unity in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the Trinity. But even as a human, when Jesus became man, He received the Holy Spirit without measure, John 3 verse 34. But you and I, we receive the Spirit and His gifts in measure, as Jesus decides. You read that in Ephesians 4 verse 7. He gave His gift of grace according to measure. So he decides, this one will get five gifts, and that one will get one gift, and so on. And in a church, this, this church will get these certain gifts, and that church will get other gifts. And he gives it as he pleases. And that very often, not always, but very often, Christ gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, or the, this baptism in the Spirit, and the outpouring of the Spirit in great measure, he'll give it in times when there's apostasy in the church, apostasy of falachai where the church has really gone astray, badly. And then he sends a man like George Whitfield, or he sends a man like Martin Luther, reformer, and plentiful full outpouring of the Spirit. So there's a revival to revitalize the church and bring life and conversion again and return to the Scriptures. Or maybe a pioneer missionary. No one has ever been into that area. They're pagan. They're cannibals. They eat other people. And <coughs> Sorry. And the Lord sends John Payton. <clears throat> and the Lord sends, does a mighty work and saves the whole island. An outpouring of the Spirit. Or maybe in a situation where Christians are persecuted. And Christ pours out His Spirit upon them to strengthen them. And encourage them. And help them to do the work. He gives a, a greater outpouring of His Spirit. I'll give you some examples again. So in Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. That's pioneer work. These apostles, they're the first now to go out. This gospel is spread and must spread fast. And so Jesus gives a revival. He pours out His Spirit upon them in greater measure. Or when Stephen is persecuted, Stephen's standing before the council. They're going to kill him now. They're accusing him. And it says, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Or Stephen, filled with the Spirit and wisdom. Or Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up. He saw the heavens open. He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Or you've got an example in Acts 13, where Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at, the at that magician who tried to, to prevent the governor from believing the gospel. And Paul looked at him and said, you son of the devil. And he told him, you will be blind now for some days. And that happened. Full of the Holy Spirit. You've got Howell Harris in Wales preaching the gospel. And Howell Harris climbs up to, into a church tower and he's busy praying. 
And he says it's like wave upon wave of Christ pouring the Spirit upon him. And he's so filled with power and Howell Harris goes into Wales and he preaches and thousands are converted. Or you've got D.L. Moody in Wall Street in New York. Two ladies said to D.L. Moody, they said to him, there's nothing wrong with your preaching. You're preaching the truth, but there's something lacking. And that's the power of the Spirit. And so Moody pleads for this and he seeks this. And one day he's walking in, in New York in Wall Street and all of a sudden he's so overwhelmed and he says he has to get aside somewhere to pray and he goes into an alley and he prays and he says, the love of God is shed abroad into my heart by the Holy Spirit. And he says, Lord, stay your hand, stop your hand, or give me the power to contain it. And God gives him the power to contain it. And from that day, D.L. Moody preaches and thousands come to Christ. They enter the kingdom under the preaching of D.L. Moody. Now, not every Christian has got the same gift and not every Christian has got the same measure of the Spirit. Uh, let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 6, they have to choose people because the, some of the widows aren't getting food. And they say, choose who? People who are filled, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, how can you say choose people who are full of the Spirit if all of us have the same measure? They knew some people have a greater measure of the Spirit. And so pick those men. And yet all of us, even if some have a different measure, all of us, must seek that greater measure. All of us must seek for more. All of us must pray with the Apostle Paul that God, according to the riches of His glory, might grant us to be strengthened with power in the inner being through the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we may understand and have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ, that love that cannot be understood. We need to experience it and taste it. Now, if you want that, then you must repent of sin. Because, because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. He will not come where there is unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin. We must turn and we must not seek the Holy Spirit for selfish reasons. We mustn't say, I want Him so I can do powerful things in His name. And so everyone will be awed and wowed at what I do. That is selfish. Let me show you chapter 14 verse 4. The one who speaks in, in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Paul is not putting that positively. Because in chapter 13, verse 5, he said, Love does not seek its own. You do not seek, you do not insist on your own way. I want things, I'm, I'm self-centered. No, build up the church, he says. So don't seek gifts so you can use it for yourself and feel better. Seek gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit so you can serve, so you can minister in the body of Christ. And you believe he will answer those prayers. Those prayers. Because Jesus said, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You trust He will answer the prayer according to His own will and His own decision. In the measure He decides. Now, this does not mean you must seek a second blessing. Now, I'm going to talk about that theology. There's the Keswick theology that says you need a second blessing. So you can live the higher life. You can live a victorious life and conquer sin. Now, it's right. You must conquer sin and hate sin. But they've got this thing, it's almost perfection theology, that you reach a point you're not even aware of sin in your life. The higher life. It's a false theology it's in South Africa also. The higher life theology. It's not true. That goes against Philippians 3 where Paul says, I have not yet attained perfection, but I forget the things what are, that are behind and I strive to the things that are ahead. I want that prize. When will he receive the prize? When he dies. 
Not now, higher life. I'm, you like low-class Christians, I'm a higher-class Christian. That goes against the, the verse in 1 John, where Paul says in, uh, John says in 1 John 1, verse 8 to 10, if you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. You're deceiving yourself. Rather, confess your sins. And then again, if you say you have no sin, you are calling God a liar. So it's not true to say, I've been baptized with the Spirit, now I've reached this higher life, and some of you haven't been baptized with the Spirit, you're a lower class Christian. It is not true. What that leads to is depression in Christians. It leads to frustration if you believe that theology. Because you can never attain this higher life. Why am I still struggling? You're so holy. Look at those, those people who've now attained the higher life and the victorious life and, and I'm just a nobody. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. There's no such thing as a second blessing in the Bible. If you find it, show it to me. It's not there. There's no such thing as that, that I've been baptized in the Spirit, now I've attained the or if you want to go the Pentecostal way, I've been baptized in the Spirit and now I can speak in tongues. That's the proof. That's the proof. No? You know these Corinthian Christians? Were, were all of them baptized in the Spirit? Were they? What does verse 13 say? Were all the Christians in that church baptized in the Spirit? Yes. Did they live the higher life and they didn't sin anymore? Oh, this was a church in a mess. Did all of them speak in tongues to prove they've been baptized in the Spirit? What does it say in verse 13? Do all speak in tongues? So they didn't. Speaking in tongues is not the only proof you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You read the book of Acts and you note all the references where it says, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see in Acts chapter 6, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He was full of wisdom. And he did miracles. But it doesn't say he spoke in tongues. Or you look at uh, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4 verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, did he speak in tongues? doesn't say that. Maybe he did at other times, but not there. It says he was bold. In Acts 4 verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out with boldness preaching the word of God. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues. So I'm not saying speaking in tongues isn't a proof. Maybe it is sometimes. Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues where they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it's not the only proof. So don't say if you don't speak in tongues, that's what the Pentecostals say. If you don't speak in tongues, you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's nonsense. Speaking in tongues doesn't make you more spiritual. Acts 13 verse 1 to 3 says, Even if I speak in the tongues of men or angels and I do not have love, it helps me nothing. You can have all the gifts in the world. If you do not have love, you're nothing. Doesn't make you spiritual. There are unbelievers who speak in tongues. Matthew chapter 7, unbelievers who say to Jesus on the judgment day, Lord, I prophesied in your name, I cast out demons, we did many miracles. Jesus said, go away, I never knew you. You're not my children. So don't think speaking in tongues makes you spiritual. The question is not do you speak in tongues. The question is not do you have mighty spiritual gifts. The question is, do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Then you know you've got the Holy Spirit. You've, have you got godly character? The question is, do you have John chapter 3 verse 5? Have you been born of the Spirit of God? Does the Spirit dwell in you? Because if the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you are none of Christ's. You do not belong to Christ, Romans 8 verse 9. But if you do have the Holy Spirit, and if you do see this character, and you do see the fruit growing in your life, 
some more and some less, some 30-fold, some 100-fold. If you do see that, then you can say, Lord, I want more of your Spirit's power. I want more of your strength to serve you more effectively and to glorify you. Not some second blessing. No, as I heard Martin Holt say this a number of times, I do not believe in a second blessing. I believe in a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh blessing. That's what we believe in. A multiple and a continual baptism with the Holy Spirit through the Christian life to empower you for service and sometimes more empowerment needed for greater service. Now, my modern Reformed friends, of whom I was a part, <laughs> my modern Reformed friends deny this. My modern Reformed brother, Wayne Grudem, or John MacArthur deny this. They say baptism with the Holy Spirit is just another name for being born again. It's just another term for being born again. Well, Wayne Grudem at least knows that uh, he says maybe it's not exactly the same thing. It happens at the same time. He's right. It does happen at the same time. That initial baptism with the Spirit happens the same time as being born again. It's a personal Pentecost for every believer. Verse 13, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So the moment you become saved, that happens. That's true. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Bear with me. Hold on. Not long to go. Titus 3, verse 5 and 6. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by washing of regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So yes, you are baptized in the Spirit the moment you are born again. That is right, but it's not the same thing. How do I know that? Who brings the new birth to you? Who causes you to be born again? You are born of the Spirit. Who baptizes you in the Spirit? Jesus. Hmm. Not the same thing. And I would go further and say, Acts 2, you see people being baptized in the Spirit. The day of Pentecost. But as I said earlier, Acts 4, they baptized in the Spirit again. Were they born again yet? Yes. What about Acts 2? When the Spirit came upon him, when they were baptized in the Spirit, were they Christians yet? Yes. They'd been born again already some years ago. But now they're baptized in the Spirit. And the same in Acts chapter 4 and the same in Acts chapter 8. Here are Christians in Samaria. They're born again under the, the preaching of God's Word when Philip preaches. And then only later the apostles come from the Jerusalem, lay hands on them, and they're baptized in the Spirit. So here believers, oh, baptized in, baptized in the Spirit again. And now my, my dear Reformed, modern Reformed friends will say to me, they'll say, no, but that's a unique case. That's a unique case. This is like, it's never happened. This is Pentecost. Even if it's a unique case, it makes no difference. They were still, it, it's still true they had already been Christians when they were baptized with the Spirit. So I believe this verse, you're baptized in the Spirit the moment you're born again, but you can be baptized in the Spirit again and again, endowed with power for service. Let me just give you some synonyms and then I'll give you a closing illustration. Here are synonyms. So, wedergeboorte is nie gelijk aan doping met die geest. Of doping met die geest aan wedergeboorte. Here are some synonyms. 
uh, in the book of Acts. I checked them. I wrote them in my Bible to say, oh, baptism with the Spirit. You can go and read these contexts and say, well, it's got different names in the book of Acts. Let me show you. Here's a name for baptism in the Spirit. Jesus pours out His Spirit. Acts 2 verse 33, 10 verse 45. Jesus gives His Spirit. Acts 11 verse 17 and 15 verse 8. The Holy Spirit falls on people like rain falls on you. Acts 10 verse 44, 11 verse 15. The Holy Spirit comes on people. Acts 1 verse 8, 19 verse 6. It says the Holy Spirit will come on them or came on them. You are clothed with power. Yes, proclaim it krach. Luke 24, 49, Acts 1 verse 8. And then you are filled with the Spirit. Acts 2 verse 4, 9 verse 17, 13 verse 52. You can go and check all those passages. And you'll see, oh, this is baptism with the Spirit. This is baptism in the Spirit. So, what do you want? What do you seek? Now I'm going to give a strange twist. Seek Christ more than experience. Don't just seek an experience. I want this baptism in the Spirit. I want more of this. Seek Christ. And I'll illustrate this for you by two women who lived in the 1800s and their pastor's name was A.A. Hodge. R.R. Was I four letters, his initials. A.A. Hodge. And he spoke of this two women in his church and he said for the whole time he was there, the one woman, she always spoke about her gifts and always spoke about the Holy Spirit and her experiences with the Spirit. The other woman never spoke of her gifts. She, it's like she was living on the verge of heaven, on the stoop of heaven, on the veranda. She's, she's almost in the front door. But she didn't speak of her own character. She didn't speak of her wonderful experiences with the Spirit. She would sit, everyone had left after the church service, she would sit alone. She would just sit quietly and then she was startled and quite frightened because she didn't know the pastor came up to her and, and she saw him. She says, oh, sorry, I didn't see you. And you heard her saying these words to him. She said, oh, isn't Christ holy? Isn't Christ wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he marvelous? Oh, isn't he infinite? Which one of those two ladies would you say was full of the Spirit? When He comes, the Spirit of Truth, Jesus said, He will glorify Me. He will glorify Christ. And may the Spirit do the same for us. Our Father, how we pray for a fresh baptism of Your Spirit, for plentiful outpouring of Your Spirit, Abundant outpouring. Not that we might merely be endowed with power to serve. But that we might do that in order to show Christ to others. And glorify your name. Amen.